Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. I am Ryan Burklow, and on today's podcast, we're going to be talking with Aaron Crossley. So Aaron and I sat down. He is a mortgage advisor, and he is a team sales manager with Caliber Home Loans uh, here in Kirkland, Washington. He's been actually working with families and, and home loans for over about 20 years or so, and has helped, uh, I think he said about 3,000 families. So he's he's one of the consistently recognized uh, mortgage originators in the country. And I thought it would be a good idea to have him come on and speak into where home prices are going, talk about refinancing and jumbo loans, and then talk a little bit about real, inv- real estate investing as I get a lot of questions around that with my clients, I figured we'd share it uh, on the episode. So without further ado, here is my interview with Aaron Cressley. Aaron, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, Aaron and I met, well, we met, what, three years ago or so? Uh, yeah, I'd say at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, met three or so years ago. Um, how did we meet? Were we introduced to each other? I don't know if we ever figured it out. I think it was <laughs> <laughs> like we met. I remember meeting you. And I'm like, I've met, I've met you before. We've had some sort of conversation before. So anyways, we met and, um, you know, in my line of work and, and then with people's finances, I often uh, find out that they have real estate investment type of goals or they have homes that they're looking to refinance or purchase. And Aaron is someone that I use utilize as an expert uh, to answer questions for for my clients as well as even for myself in terms of how to advise clients with that. So that's why I thought it would be a really good uh, really good time to bring Aaron on considering what's happening with interest rates, what's happening with hot housing market. And so um yeah, we thought it'd uh, be a good time to have this. So Aaron, the, the common question I'm getting with a lot of real estate investors and even people just buying homes is, you know, where is the housing market, right? Like, I know you can't like predict with hundred percent accuracy, but what's your feeling on what's going on with the housing market? Yeah, it's definitely a common thing. Uh, I think a lot of people lived through 2007, 2008, and they have this notion that uh, we're, we're in a similar situation and it's, it couldn't be more uh, false. Um, what we have right now is a very, very low supply and a very high demand. Like any good in the world, supply and demand is, is what's driving the real estate market. We have a little bit of seasonal cool off this time of year. We've got holidays, bad weather and things like that. But we might see houses that were on the market a couple hours. Now they're on the market a couple days, but we still have a very low inventory of homes and a very high demand for homes. So um, somewhat tempor- temporarily cooled off, but I don't think that we see anything like a market crash, uh, any indication of that, uh, if that helps. Yeah. I think the other side to, you know, 08, if you're comparing, you know, people, people have definitely con- compared to what's going on with the housing market now to that because they're considered, they're, you know, a bubble or however you want to call that. I think the other aspect of it is the underwriting to get a loan is much more difficult uh, to do than it was, say, back in 08. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we had the market flooded with uh, people that were underqualified in a lot of situations with very creative financing uh, packages and programs that just don't exist anymore. So we have a much more stringent underwriting guideline that 
almost every product has to follow. And so the loans that are out there are uh, performing much better. So you don't see a large number of foreclosures or people that can't afford the loans because the underwriters are making sure that they, they can afford those loans and, and they're not going to get into financial difficulty. Yeah. So when, with how the market is and, and I guess transitioning over towards interest rates right now, I think they're starting to creep up, but they're still pretty darn low. Like what, what's your thoughts on what's going on right there? Yeah, the, it's an interesting phenomenon because um, what we have experienced the last two years is extremely affordable housing. Even with the housing prices going up, interest rates have been so historically low that these indexes we follow for affordability have been at all-time lows the last uh, probably 18 months. And so people see housing prices going up and they, they think, my, you know, this is going to be so expensive. But when rates are down in the twos for 30-year fixed money, it makes that loan extremely affordable. We still do see rates very near historic lows. We've enjoyed rates that start in the twos. So a 30-year fixed like mid to high two range has now crept up into the low threes. And gosh, you know, two years ago, if you would have told people you can get a loan in the low 3% range, they would have been ecstatic. So we still have very favorable rates. And um, I, I think that uh, most people would obviously like to be in the twos, but they, they're, uh, they're still pretty happy with where we are right now. Yeah, it's so important to like put things in perspective, right? Like Because to your point, I've had certain people go, man, I mean, interest rates have gone up so much and I could have gotten this in the twos and now I got to pay in the threes. And I like, like pause timeout <laughs> five <laughs> yeah. years ago. Would you have ever predicted you could get a loan in the threes? <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing that is really driving this is um, the inflation, right? We everyone has seen groceries are more expensive or gas is more, everything is more expensive. There's clearly inflation going on. It's not transitory inflation. It appears to be with us. It's here. And it, it is the number one enemy of mortgage rates and bonds. Mortgages are bundled together and traded on the bond market. And the worst thing for bonds is inflation. So it's just a natural thing that we, we, could, uh, we are expecting at this point, because with inflation being here to stay for a while, we're going to see rates just naturally increase a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, at least here in Seattle and really up and down the West coast for the most part, and really maybe even nationwide. Um, the, the cost of homes, as you've, as you've already mentioned, has gone up quite a bit. And so there are different loans that you have to get depending on what down payment you're putting down. So what I'm talking about here is like jumbo loans versus mm -hmm. other types of loans. So can you walk us through it? Maybe define real quick. Cause I think people hear jumbo loans and there might be a negative connotation to it, or maybe they just misunderstand what a jumbo loan is versus a different um, type of loan. Maybe give us a quick definition of that yeah. and then yeah, start there. I'll try to make it quick. Um, so I'll, I'll use the other, the opposite of jumbo, which we would call conforming loans. And it, it really is just like it sounds. A conforming loan conforms to a standard guideline set by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Those are two words that people are familiar with. Those are really just secondary markets like the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, where mortgages are bundled up and traded. And to be included in there, they have to conform to either the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac guidelines. If they don't conform to those guidelines, usually it's because they're too big of a loan amount. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have limits on how big the loan amount can be 
to conform to their products. We just got the new loan limits announced for next year. Here in Seattle, in the main areas here, the new limit is $891,250, which is ridiculously high based on where we were a few years ago. But if you're over that number, now you're in a jumbo loan. So jumbo loan products are going to be unique to every investor. Each bank, whether it's Bank of America, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, they have proprietary guidelines for their product for that jumbo loan. And they each are a little bit different. They're mostly the same, but the jumbo loans are, are just higher loan amounts that don't conform to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And they don't have a conforming guideline that applies to all of them because each investor has their own set of guidelines. Yeah. So to keep going with that, so to either, well, maybe just qualify for loan in general, and maybe there's differences between that and jumbo. You know, a lot of, a lot of our listeners, they're in tech, right? So they get stock options and RSUs. How does that qualify or maybe disqualify in terms of their debt to income ratio? Like how does that come into play from an underwriting perspective? This, this might not be a short answer. <laughs> that, that, that's, um, every investor is different. Some of them have unique guidelines specific for employers. We have Amazon employee products in investor guidelines that are just designed for the specific compensation packages that employees at Amazon get because it's unique to Amazon and, and very different from a lot of other companies. So in general, I would say if you've been with a company long enough to have received stock, vested stock for two years, it can usually be used for income. If it's been less than two years and it's not one of these special companies like Amazon that have a special product built out, um, it's probably income that we would not be able to use. Gotcha. So, um, you know, to your time frame, and then it also has to be vested. It can't be, it can't be like an RSU structure that hasn't vested yet. Like if you haven't actually yeah, if it's vested, it hits your W2, it shows up as right. a, and then we can use it if it's happened for the last two years. Gotcha. Gotcha. Does that have any, um, for a jumbo loan versus a, uh, you know, conform conformative loan, any differences in there in terms of underwriting for that type of structure? I've seen some jumbo uh, lenders that say your your stock income can't make up more than a certain percentage of your income. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, it, you can use whatever the average is for the last two years, as long as you can show it's going to continue into the future. And it wasn't a one-time thing that you received the last two years. Gotcha. Okay. So hopefully that was helpful for everyone. You know, I get that question all the time around, you know, stock options, how does that go into play? Um, you know, another question that we oftentimes get, and this comes, this ties into financial planning as well as what loans are available. And that's always the question of, okay, how much should I put down? Right. So, you know, the traditional answer, you'll go Google, it'll probably say 20% of, you know, what the, um, what the home is worth or what your the mortgage is going to be. What, what loans are available out there? And I know there's a ton, so that's probably a loaded question, but in simplicity's sake, like, can you still get a loan without a 20% down payment? Yes, definitely you can do that, even in the jumbo space. But what's really interesting and really cool right now is that last March, when COVID first became a thing, what we saw across the entire industry in the jumbo space is every investor didn't know what to expect. And because of that, they pulled all their products off the shelf. So suddenly we, and it, it 
every every company in the country suddenly lost all of their jumbo products because all of these banks just said, whoa, we don't know what's going to happen in the economy. And everything came to a halt. So what's been cool is in the last 12 to 18 months, we've seen these products coming back and coming back better, coming back more creative, coming back with different guidelines than they had at the end of 2019, beginning of 20. Um, so we're seeing some more aggressive things with lower down payment on jumbos. Um, it, it, it was almost like it gave those investors a chance to really look at their guidelines and clean things up. And um, there's there's been some fun new products that are coming out almost every month this year. It's been it's been nice. It's like oh this this investor's back in the market and oh they've got a new product that they didn't have two years ago. So um, there's a lot going on and especially anyone who was trying to get a loan at the end of last year and they couldn't get a jumbo loan or they were very limited. Uh, the product options now are drastically different than they were even six months ago because of, of what we saw in, in the uh, in the financial world due to COVID. Yeah. So to, to keep going with that, right. Another question I get is, you know, with the refinance option, right. You've got this um, cash out refinance, or maybe you bring in um, debt uh, into the mortgage. What is that typical, like how much can you borrow from your home? Um, maybe we'll start with a cash out refinance. Like how much equity do you have to have in your home to be able to do that? So the two limits we usually run into is you can usually do cash out up to 80% of the home value. When you get too big and you're taking too much out, some products will limit you to taking no more than 500,000 in your pocket, essentially at closing. So pay off whatever loan is on the house. And there's some investors that say, look, we don't want to give you more than 500. There's others that say as much as you need up to 80%. Gotcha. Is it the same type of, um, if it's not a cash out and maybe you're bringing in credit card debt, right? And it's a decent amount of debt. Are, what's the stipulation there then? Um, it cash out is almost always the same, but no matter okay. whether it's paying off credit cards or home remodel with one exception, those conforming loans with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac say you can take cash out to pay off student loans, but it's not going to be treated as far as the rate goes as cash out. So you're going to get a better interest rate. Like it's just a normal refinance if you're using a conforming loan and consolidating student loan debt with your existing mortgage. And we've seen several of those that have been fantastic uses of equity this year, saving people hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. Right. Yeah. It, freeing up cash flow, right? People, I think, often gets nervous about, you know, maybe they were, you know, 10 years into a mortgage and they're like, well, I don't know if I want to refinance because I don't want to start another 30 year loan. Obviously, you can change the loan amount, but freeing up that cash flow especially utilizing this interest allows you to do other things with your money. And to your point that you just brought up student loans, that can be crushing and to be able to free that up so that you can start building wealth quicker and even get that monkey off your back is huge. Yeah. And the interesting thing is people think of it as I'm taking on more debt because my mortgage balance is increasing. But what you're really doing is restructuring your debt because you already have that student loan debt and you're really kind of moving it into a better debt structure. And now it's in a mortgage that's got tax deductible interest, lower interest rates, lower monthly payments. And like you said, frees up a lot of cash flow on a monthly basis to get you back on track for your retirement planning or buying your next house or whatever you want to do with that extra $1,000 a month that you free up. And so speaking of buying your next house, right? So we've got, you know, 
people that are looking to buy maybe a rental property or maybe a vacation home or of some sort. What are the, let, let's start with the, the um, a rental property, right? So I'm going to buy a home. I'm going to rent it to, to a renter. What, what are the underwriting stipulations there to qualify for that? So the big, usually the biggest difference is down payment. The minimum you'll usually find is 15% down with an investment property. The, I'd say threshold for getting the most favorable financing terms is if you can get to 25% down. Um, 15 is going to be the the highest interest rate scenarios. 20, the terms are going to get a little better. And at 25, there's a noticeable improvement in, in terms if you can get to that point. And then don't you also have to have like six months of rent or, or something like saved up? Yeah. Well, yeah. Every product's a little different. Some uh, those we call that reserve assets. So um, at the end of buying the house, how much money do you have left? And it can be a 401k, uh, your checking, your saving investment, whatever accounts you have, what do you have in reserve assets so that if something were to happen and you lost your job, how many months can you pay your, your bills? And some are two months, some are six months. There's some jumbo products where it goes as high as 18 or 24 months. Um, and so it, it, there's not one set standard because uh, it's going to depend on the scenario, credit score, down payment, things like that, loan amount. Um, but on the low end, you might see only two months of reserve assets needed. And that reserve assets is really just the amount that you're paying every month for your existing debt, plus the new payment on this investment property multiplied by two for two months or six for six months. Um, So yeah, there's a little bit of reserve assets that will be needed. And um, the, the one really cool thing with investment properties, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, is the projected income from that property is something that we consider. So if your new mortgage on this investment property is going to be $2,000, but you can rent it for $3,000, you actually have a net positive cash flow and you're adding income to your file. Uh, so buying that house, your, your income's going up and we consider that. Oh, I didn't know that. So do you actually take into consideration income that technically is not coming in the door until they find that renter ahead of time? Yeah, the, the, there's really two methods. It could be a home that's already rented. So there's an existing lease and that makes it pretty straightforward. Sure. If it's something that's not rented, the appraiser who visits the home can do what's called a rent schedule. What they'll do is find several other similar homes and find out how much rent is being paid for a comparable home in the area and come up with an amount and say the average is $2,000 for this type of home. And that's what the underwriter uses. Gotcha. So- what, you know, I think we've hit a lot of the high level questions that, that I typically get. I'm sure you get too. What questions have, what questions are you getting that we haven't spoken about? Well, um, I think this definitely the biggest ones are coming up that are, that are coming up late lately is, uh, where are interest rates headed? (laughs) Is the market going to crash? And we covered both of those. Um, I, I think what we are going to see though is, um, and some people don't, realizes even with the interest rates going up a little bit, things like consolidating student loan debt is still going to be a very big savings for people. So um, when we do a total analysis of someone's debt and we talk about a refinance, for instance, um, we're going to see situations where someone's mortgage rate might even come up a little bit. It goes up a quarter, but by consolidating the debt, 
even in a rising rate environment, um, they're going to see massive savings and, and be able to uh, better their, their lifestyle and change things for the better. Um, the other thing that we see a lot of people doing is taking equity out of their home and reinvesting that in investment property. So that's been a very popular thing this year. I own a home that's gone up way more than I expected. Right. It's equity. And I really want to buy a second home. And I want to have a second home in Arizona, an investment property or wherever you're looking, Idaho. Uh, we see it all over the place. So that that's one that has become very, very popular. And um, we're doing those on a weekly basis where people want to just take advantage of that equity. They don't want to move and they don't know what else to do with this sunk equity in their home. And they can put it to use in an investment property that will appreciate and gain them income and uh, really just diversify their investments. Yeah, I'll just read. I mean, that is awesome on both accounts. I'm going to re-speak into what you brought up earlier about some people will get weirded out around, well, wait a minute, Ryan, I've got a 3% interest rate on my current mortgage. You're asking me to go to three and a quarter or even three and a half by refinancing and bringing in my student loan debt or something like that. Correct. And it freaks them out when they go from three to three and a half. Cause they're like, well, wait a minute, Ryan, like I'm going to pay more in interest now over the next 20 or 30 years. And they're looking at it in a very siloed manner when they're not looking at the entire thing. So when my team and I are looking at people's debts and, and the entire financial picture, we're looking at, okay, where should your money be going? What's the best use of it? And we look at all domains. So rather than paying 5% interest or 6% or even higher on some of those student loans, why don't we bring that $100,000 student loan into the mortgage? Yeah, it's going to go up 3.5%, but let's just say your student loan payment was $2,000 and your mortgage is $2,000. So your mortgage goes up to $2,500 by refinancing. Well, now you just saved yourself $1,500 a month. What could you do with that $1,500 a month? Could you beat a three and a half interest rate with that money? And that's how you arbitrage and, and really leverage your assets and your debts to be more efficient. And people have to think bigger picture like that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to speak on the uh, investment property thing in, in, a, uh, in, a, in an economy, well, you could probably speak to this better than I can, but in an, in an economy with inflation, if you can borrow against this one asset in a good a, a good debt, which I would categorize a mortgage, and use that to invest in something that's appreciating and going up in value with inflation and other real estate appreciation, and at the same time gaining gaining you income from this investment property. This is what this is what smart wealthy homeowners are doing right now, and it's something that uh, uh, more people will probably be picking up on in this coming year or two that they can borrow at still very aggressive rates, leveraging their existing asset and using it to buy something else that's going to be appreciating and going up. And at the same time, that new asset's also gaining them uh, income on a day, uh, monthly basis. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent, that's definitely another way to do it. The, the, there are plenty of people that can do that. And there are also plenty of people that can do that, that shouldn't do that. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Because just yeah. because you can qualify for the loan doesn't mean you should do it. Right. There's, there's liquidity concerns that I would have, like if they were me, if I, I didn't have liquidity, meaning access to dollars somewhere else outside of a 401k, because that's one thing I don't like about mortgages. You include the 401k as like that emergency reserve that you were talking about 
So it's like, well, wait a minute. So you're counting the person's retirement money. <laughs> I, I get why you do it. Like it, it can still yeah. be used, but from a financial planning standpoint, like, again, it's always about balance. Like to our yeah. listeners, you've heard us say financial balance, maybe every single episode. So this is why you work with a financial planner and a mortgage professional who are on the same team that know your situation so that we can make the best, help you make the best decision for overall. And what we would do, I mean, you and I, for one of these clients is we would literally talk within a three-way conversation, whether it's on the phone or email and say, here's, here's the ideas. And then Ryan would say, yes, this fits into the plan that we have together. This, this makes sense. Um, option one, not option two or three. And we would work together to make sure that we're not derailing whatever strategies you have in place. And, and that's what I love about working with people like you is, is um, we're working together to advise the clients to the, the best possible total financing solution. Yeah. I mean, I always make the joke that a lot of people are walking this earth and they've got their financial advisor, they've got their auto and home insurance agent, they've got their mortgage professional, they've got their CPA, they've got their brother-in-law who thinks they know everything. They've got like five different people <laughs> talking to them about their money, yet not a single part, like they're not communicating co and coordinating with one another, which is huge. And so I appreciate what you just said. It's, it's so important. Well, we're, I, almost, I tell people all the time, working with you is like, you're the family CFO. And you're looking at everything and I'm coming to you just with my piece of their financial life. And you're looking at the rest of the puzzle to make sure that it fits in. Yep. hundred percent. Well, I think that's I think of one other thing that's coming up a lot. If you want to talk about one other thing. Yeah. What's up? That's people that own a home right now and want to buy a home, but they don't want to sell their current home before they buy their new home. And they're trying to figure out how do I take the equity in home a and still use that to buy home B and then sell the, the previous home afterwards. So there, there are several strategies that we see people doing with that. Um, one is to take out a short-term solution like an equity line or a bridge loan on your current home. I would tell people to plan for that. It takes at least 30 days. It yeah. can be done. I see people doing that all the time. The other thing, and this involves you, Ryan, is I see people who have their investments with somebody like you and they also have all that equity in their house. And what they can do is leverage their assets with you and temporarily borrow against those in a, with a line of credit or margin. Margin, yeah. Use that to buy your new home and then pay that back when you sell your old home. You don't incur capital gains taxes from selling all your stock. And it doesn't maybe derail what you're doing with your financial advisor, but it's a great way to bridge that time gap and uh, access money for a short period of time. I would not, this isn't a long-term thing, but if you're buying a house in December and selling your old home in February, it's a great way to bridge that 60 days, get access to some liquidity, get into the new home, and then get everything back on track a month or two later. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great way to do it. I mean, again, always with balance and it's not a right fit for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have certain amount of assets, you can leverage those assets and, and essentially create a loan for yourself at a really good low interest rate because of the environment and, and because of what you've built up. Essentially, your, your collateral is your consistency in actually saving money and actually having assets allows you to do exactly what you just said at a lower risk 
and it's not a long-term thing. It's more of a short-term gap leveraging your assets. So you don't have to pay any more out of, out of pocket and, and you can make it as efficient as possible. So I love that. Appreciate that. Well, I think that is the perfect way to, to end this episode, Aaron, I, I appreciate everything, uh, everything you're doing for my clients. I'm sure my clients do as well. Um, for those listeners who want to talk to you more about maybe their personal situation, how would they find you? Give me a call. I'd be happy to, to chat with you anytime about anything you need uh, regarding to uh, real estate and real estate finance. Um, I can be reached at 425-457-2232. Perfect. So we'll put in the episode notes ways to get in contact with Aaron uh, should you want uh, to reach him for any personal uh, mortgage type of need. So Aaron, thanks again for your time, bud. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, uh, uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Bye. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California, 91711. Telephone 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License Number 1531912. CA Insurance License Number 0K24924. Alexander Collins, AR Insurance License Number 7264699. CA Insurance License, number 0H24806. Pinpoint number 2021-131147. Expiration December 2023.